everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hand Me Up Club podcast. My name is Lindsay Ruter, and this is an especially special episode because it is the season finale, season one of the Hand Me Up Club. We're here. We're at the end of season one, not the podcast in general. Don't worry. We're coming back for season two, but it's been a wild time. This is our 22nd episode. Thank you for being with me through all of this, and... It's just so crazy. We've talked to so many different people this season. Uh, designers, curators, makers, organizers, recyclers, app builders, community organizers, beyond closet organizers. There's so many different kinds of people doing awesome, amazing things in the sustainable and the sustainable fashion world. And I am really excited to cap it all off with a true icon in the sustainable oh fashion community in New York City. I am here with Allison Vicenzi, and she created the Sustainable Fashion Circle. And so right now, a lot of you are probably listening and thinking, oh my gosh, yes, I know that. I think that's where a lot of people start on their sustainable fashion journey. This was created by Allison. It's amazing. So she created the Sustainable Fashion Circle community. She has her own label, Vicenzi, and she is also a circular systems entrepreneur, but I'm going to let her tell all of you about herself. Hi, Allison. Welcome to the Amy Up Club. Hi. Thank you for having me, Lindsay. <laughs> of course. Thank you for coming. So wow, there's like already so many things to unpack in just the three different roles I said in your bio. <laughs> but let's start with Sustainable Fashion Circle. So I know this because when I first got interested in sustainable fashion a couple years ago and I'm just Googling it and searching on Facebook that's what one of the first things that I found. And I think that's for a lot of people. You're, there's a lot of people in that group. Mm -hmm. And it's very popular. And it started on Meetup. Is that right? Correct. Correct. It started our minimum viable project, I would say, was to get a Meetup group together. And we decided to put it on Meetup so that we didn't have to build our own website because we didn't know at the time how to build websites. And we were trying to make it as simple as possible so that we could do it because it was just a side project. It's not a business. There's no money involved. And my co-founder, Namu Park, she and I had met through mutual friends. The first time we ever talked about doing a Meetup group, it was actually called the No New Stuff Club. Yes. And that's how she came across me. Um too was that I had declared at the end of 2015 to do the no new stuff challenge which is the a name I made up but I just thought it made sense of like I'm not allowed to buy anything new I can buy whatever I want as long as it's secondhand and it wasn't just fashion it went for anything tech products and um, anything that wasn't consumable like food or shampoo although it made me change the whole way I thought about those things as well so a year later Namu and I had just met and she was very interested in no new stuff because she was prototyping a clothing rental platform at the time and so we started thinking about doing a community effort because we were all doing our own research and going to events alone and it was just it's hard being an entrepreneur too like being alone a lot and we just started thinking why don't we create something consistent in this community to bring people together, help them find each other, be a resource for people. And we decided when we finally got it off the ground in August of that year, so that was 2000, oh my gosh, I'm going to be off on dates, 2017, because it's now been over two years. So yeah, 2017 in August, we hosted our first meetup for founding members of the Sustainable Fashion Club, it was called at that time. And the name was very intentionally straightforward and that was advice that was given to me by a friend that I met um, at a different meetup. He ran a meetup called Hiking for Geeks and he said keep your meetup. He was the one who told me to put it on meetup first of all mm -hmm. and he said call it something that people would search for and that's how they'll find it and we were like that's kind of lame. We want to like create a new brand and a new name for it and we had done a lot of branding brainstorming but it made sense in the end because that I think when you're working in sustainable fashion, you're working in this world, you think that that word is overused and you think it doesn't really mean anything. But then when you zoom out and think about the world as a whole, sustainability does mean something and it doesn't, it's not as nuanced for most people. It is like, a, it's a term that it does have meaning and I, we need to remember that. So anyways, we called it something simple. We changed it, you know, within a few months to the sustainable fashion circle that just felt right. Once we started, it's mm -hmm. crazy going from like, oh, we should have a, like 
just as a project idea, like, oh, a, a recurring meetup series and community. And then when it actually becomes a real thing and there's people involved and you're seeing faces and it's not just this abstract idea, um, Circle just felt right because it was like this circle, this network of people. It was more than just a meetup, but it became this, uh, I don't know, I don't even know how to describe it, but we started Simple and we wanted it to be a monthly series of events and we wanted to test out a lot of different formats so it it started out as just talking and, and people sharing their ideas of where they thought this community was needed and what we could do together brainstorms and then we morphed into doing some DIY style events like learning sashiko uh, we did the tidying up sustainably meetup so we started to be more I would say topical of like what was going on in the world at the time and, and run a meetup series around that. That was actually our only breakfast uh, morning meetup oh, that you came to. What what a great one it was, though. Yeah. I met you there. I met Asuka, who was on the podcast earlier in this season. It was, a, it was a good group. Yay. And because we always did different formats, it would be a different amount of people every time. And so if it was just an open social, we could have up to 60 people. And if it were a more deep dive conversation, it might just be a few, but it was very engaged I think the main thing we wanted, Namu and I wanted to do was just create something that was consistent that people could turn to, that like you knew it was going to keep happening and you could start to see the same faces and also keep it very positive because it is tough. Like when you're starting out, not only starting out on something new, we found out a lot of our members were entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs or people that intended to have their own business one day. So that became something we didn't realize like ahead of time. We didn't plan for that, but it there is like a professional track to it. Mm -hmm. And it's scary thinking about starting something. So this was just a way to say there's other people out there doing the same thing that you can learn from or share f together, share resources, collaborate. So keep it consistent and keep it positive and not about like, yeah, you could go on forever about the negatives of fashion and all this, but like we're in this world because we love fashion. We love style, but we want to do it in a way that makes sense for the long term and for the world. So keeping it positive and light and keeping it recurring. And that was like it. That was the business plan or the idea. And um, I think it's just been a great way to meet people and to learn about what's going on and to sort of be at the center of something that is truly tangible, especially in New York City, fashion capital of the world. Yeah. Um, just to know, like, we had these ideas and we knew there were people out there, but to actually meet them and get to hear about people's different ideas and then see them bring them to life. Like, you, with the podcast, when I met you, you had kind of just begun, I think, begun your journey into sustainability and yeah. that you've put something out there into the world in just a year is incredible. And like you said, 20, over 20 episodes. And yeah, so I think I'm just inspired by all the people I continue to get to meet through that series and I don't know where it's going to go next but I have a lot of ideas for it and um, hopefully the community will come together and create the next phase because I think the other thing I'll say about the doing a meetup is that when it, we started it because there wasn't something like that at the time there were few and far between events there was fashion revolution week and there were some like one-off things related to maybe DIY or upcycling but they weren't under any sort of umbrella and even after we started doing our monthly meetup series, other events started to pop up too around the same time, like within a year. So it became like, now there's a lot of events and how mm -hmm. do we get people to hear about them? So then we started curating newsletters and Facebook announcements basically about all the cool events going on that we weren't necessarily running, but we were just trying to spread the word because we knew people would be interested and so I think the role of the meetup or the idea has had to kind of morph as the movement takes hold here in New York and it grows. So I think it's going to have to morph again because there's just so much good stuff going on and uh, like it just needs to be able to help, I guess, help all that. Yeah, absolutely. But it totally makes sense that people will be driven to this community because just with all the people I've talked to this season, that's something that comes up over and over again where people are so excited to find their community of makers or people that care about the same specific sustainability related component that they care about because I think that's what's so unique about sustainability is even if you're an entrepreneur within that space we all recognize that this goal is not something that can be achieved alone and that the community really is so important like you cannot solve 
the sustainability problem and all of the eco-friendly issues plaguing our planet by yourself. Like everyone recognizes we need a community. We need everyone to buy in at some level to see actual change occur. And so it totally makes sense to me that this community would really take off and that people are looking for it and finding you. And it is evolving because more and more people are getting involved and caring and like it, oh, it totally makes sense. And it's been so interesting to just see looking at all the past events you guys have done, how it started as more like conversations and a club. And then, yeah, it goes to DIY and you've gone to all these really cool spaces around the city. And I am, I'm really excited to see what you guys do next. Are you guys going to do just throwing it out there because of all these other sort of banner events and times of the year that have sort of come up since you started? Do you see like a collaboration between them and Sustainable Fashion Circle? Or are you really trying to make that like a separate brand that just might like tangentially prop up other people in this space? Or what do you see as like the next step? It's a great question. And I think the most important aspect of SFC or Sustainable Fashion Circle was that we wanted it to be a resource for people and for people to find each other. So if it's, um, so events can always be part of that and definitely tacking onto events in in weeks that are already happening. That kind of happened naturally. For example, in this summer, Good Stuff was going on in the Seaport District and that was a chance for a, a bunch of people to come together, honestly, from, from the sustainable not just fashion, but the sustainability world and do events like in a very fast paced schedule. Almost every day there was a different event and panel and workshop. And so I was fortunate to be able to co-direct some of those workshops along with Remade in Brooklyn, Lene Hamilton. And that has been a space that that was where we did the first Sashiko workshop. And I found out later on that that was her first workshop ever hosted there. So it's just cool to find out like, okay, now where's that going? And now almost every night at Remade in Brooklyn, there's an event going mm-hmm. on related to mending or upcycling and fixing things. And so with Good Stuff, for example, it was just a great way to have like a cross promotion, I would say. Like SFC drew a lot of attendance of going to the first panels and then bless everyone is so good on social media and just sharing from the earliest stages of that pop up that really filled up the month. I mean, obviously there were other people promoting, but I really do believe that getting a strong momentum from the community early on in some of these initiatives has, it's been tangible how helpful that is. And so with Refashion Week, another one coming up, same thing, like there were several ways where SFC myself or other members are kind of co-hosting things and it's not, it's definitely not a sustainable fashion circle run week by any means, but it's all related. So then I'm preparing a newsletter. The next newsletter will be focused on Refashion Week and just highlighting some of the different events going on there that I think almost every event I see someone's name that I recognize from coming to an SFC meetup. So it's cool. Again, I'm not taking credit by any means, but it, it just it shows how connected things can be. And um, definitely not reinventing the wheel, but really figuring out how we can share support for all these different initiatives going on and be a resource. So something thinking about what's next, I really have, we've always thought about doing a directory or some sort of resource where you could go and find out. We'll just say for New York for now, because again, we can't tackle the world uh, at once, but we can start in New York and we can say, what are the different, what are the different resources? People might not even know to search for sustainable fashion podcast, but they should definitely know about Hand Me Up Club's podcast. So it's like finding a way to kind of curate and collect all these resources and make it user generated, which has been something very helpful for SFC is it's not just me or Namu or any one member doing something. It's, it's definitely been a collaborative effort and highlighting each other's work. So people can nominate either their own project or someone they've met along the way, a brand, a maker. And I really would love to do a directory where these things are collected and then you could search. If you're looking for a seamstress, you would be able to pull up four or five that are based in New York City and then reach out to them. And I think that would be a really helpful resource that I personally haven't seen yet come together. And that's where I would see the community going, at least for me in the future. But then I would love for someone to continue running events. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I actually am on the search for the next generation co-organizers for SFC. And this way we can continue to have different meetups and events um, 
but also grow the resources in different ways because, yeah, I can't keep doing it all. So if anyone listening is interested in sort of being at the center of of the community and getting a chance to hear from people directly and plan events. Now, at least like you were saying, we have so many different places we can pull from that have space. And we have people that are great at doing social media. Like we can help generate amazing events and get the word out, but we need people that want to take initiative and want to be, whether you're just starting out in sustainability or whether you've been in it for a while, but just starting out in fashion or whatever, wherever you are in the spectrum, anyone can be a leader. And I think it's been the most helpful thing, at least for me as a co-organizer, was that I got to learn so much about what's going on out there. Things that I never would have realized. Like I, yeah, I think when you first start out coming up with business ideas or empire dreams you you don't really realize how much is already going on and it's been helpful to see who's focusing where and you can learn from each other and I think if you're a leader in a position like SFC then you could if you don't really know what you want to do next I would just say to immerse yourself in what's going on and inevitably you'll find something that sparks your interest or a person that could end up being a business partner or you could create a you know piece of a film together or something short yeah. film like there's so much that could happen so the first step is just getting involved and so anyways we're looking for people that want to be involved it's not a huge time commitment um and again we have now amazing hundreds of people that can help make it a success so it's just a matter of finding people that want to host events i guess and and take on the next phase so if, if that is someone who is listening how do they get in touch with you oh good question you could contact me through the meetup page that way I know you're going to to see the meetup and seeing all the events we've done and then you could see what what piques your interest so it's meetup.com backslash sustainable dash fashion dash nyc uh you can also email me directly and I'll put my email in the in the notes great all right so I want to go back to what you were saying earlier how you were having these events and people were coming and they were from all walks of life and you were also getting a lot of designers And I also want to take it back to what you were saying with your no new stuff challenge. That's something I find that's sort of this hard thing to deal with when you want to be a designer and you want to be a creator and you are this creative person with all these ideas inside you. And then you're also having to combat your own personal ideology of no new stuff. We don't need more stuff, but I also want to create and I also want to make. And sort of how do you mitigate those two sides of your personality where you want to make, but you also don't want to make any more new stuff? Mm -hmm. Like how do designers and also yourself as a designer, like how are you combating these two things? This is the existential question that keeps me up every night. No, this is, I've, this is a great question and something that I've gone back and forth on for the last several years because I did grow up wanting to design and make things. And I also grew up hating wasting things and reusing things without realizing that was sustainable. Like I just, it was just more affordable to buy something secondhand and then less risky, I would say to cut something up if it's been purchased, you know, for $5 at a thrift shop, than some brand new expensive item. But I think when I first started out, it made perfect sense to me. I thought, personally, I'm going to do the No New Stuff Challenge. That will save me a lot of time and a lot of money, and it will teach me a lot about the current state of the reuse economy, for lack for that. I didn't even think of that uh, phrase at the time, but I just thought the resale market, right? Like I grew up shopping secondhand at eBay on eBay. And I grew up at consignment stores. My mom taught me how to look for quality in, in brands through different avenues like that. And I love thrifting. So I kind of already was doing the secondhand thing, but I thought doing no new stuff would make me very aware of the secondary market. And that's where I wanted my business to grow in the future was to say, well, the, the idea is essentially to create a closed loop brand. And um, so you make high quality things, but then you also offer to buy them back and then you resell them for people so that no one would have to navigate the resale market if they didn't want to because not everybody's into creating listings and yeah. doing it themselves and pricing it. It's a lot it's a it is a creative challenge honestly and it's like setting up a small business to set up a resale store. And I don't think everyone wants to do that. So the idea was if a brand could just do it for people and then give them credits towards buying new items like it's this whole circular concept and it's a new way to experience fashion and it's it's definitely kind of happening but it's been interesting now that that was just an idea and then actually going through with it 
has led me to think like about like how long it will take for that to be the common behavior because it's not just going to work one brand or one brand like almost every brand needs to get on that idea I think I think that's how consumers are there other brands that you know of doing a buyback program because when I I can think of brands that are doing sort of like a trade in your old jeans sort of thing but not right. to the extent that you're talking about right now no and so even the trade-in programs a couple years ago when this was all you know when I first started out in yeah 2015-2016 the trade-ins weren't even this popular and now almost every store from any range of fast fashion to high-end will have a box to bring in your old stuff so that's been interesting because again you're taking it like what you thought was going to happen versus what did happen and trying to adjust without like veering off course just reacting so I think trade-in uh like bring in your old stuff from any brand and get 15% off like that's definitely become mainstream I have thoughts on whether or not that like I don't know if that's the best most sustainable behavior but I also think it it is an easy sort of band-aid solution to the problem and it gets people thinking about recycling and it's better than trashing stuff for Mm -hmm. sure but I think when you just mass put things in a bin that's where we run into like are they really finding the next best home because if you're just throwing out a bunch of stuff at once and it's getting carted all together, typically it'll get carted somewhere and it does get sorted, but a lot of it just gets downgraded and downcycled or exported overseas. If any countries, I know countries left and right are saying they're going to stop taking our exports of fashion waste, essentially, just the way they stop yeah. taking some of our plastic recycling. So a lot's changing. And in terms of brands doing it, Patagonia has since launched their Warnwear more officially. So they were doing pop-up repairs with their truck but now they actually do buy back their anything from that Patagonia's ever made they'll buy it back and they have a, a price structure so if it's a hat it's ten dollars if it's a jacket it's forty dollars and they just make sure all the zippers work but you can get credit that way and then Eileen Fisher's been doing it for a while mm-hmm. and she does a very simple five dollars per item credit and so again, those are, it's all ha- like those things are happening, but I just think there's a lot more that can be done. There's a lot more that every brand can do. And I really think brands, I hope they're not shy of owning their own secondhand market because I think people worry about it cannibalizing sales of new product, mm-hmm. which is what they rely on for their revenue. But if you can show it as you're reaching a whole new audience that honestly just can't afford your stuff right now, then you get into it does make business sense. And it's not just about sustainability. It's about making good business sense without just continuing to extract materials. Yeah. So. I think it was actually Nordstrom this week. I'm going to Google it. Um, I'll cut out the typing. Um, but basically, they are starting a buyback program but it's then leading to an online resale shop of the things that they're like buying back that can actually be resold like secondhand um and so they'll take a look at anything that you want to give back to them and then they'll give you will they give you credit per item i wonder let me see if i can find more info because it just says you were saying this you're like they can do more like what's happening to these things well i think it's all the main premise is that our clothes have value in any condition there is that was how I got into this. I thought, I don't even know how clothes are made, and I don't know what happens after I donate them. I'm just participating in the world this way. And I once you start thinking about it, I just it's hard to stop thinking about where does stuff come from? Where does it go after I drop it off at a donation bin? And that is really where my entire journey began. And so even now, like now I understand a lot more about how clothes are made, which could be a whole separate day of conversations. But... Um, <laughs> The secondary part of that, of where does stuff go, I think is still very complicated and it's still very hidden to even the people that are working in the logistics, the reverse logistics of that industry. Like they, there's just a lot of middlemen and they're bringing it to one place and someone sorting, sometimes not. And it's not clear where things are going, but I know and you know that all clothes have value. Nothing should be thrown away. Everything has value in whatever shape it's in. So that's like an easy first step. But then the next step is, okay, things that have value, why aren't consumers able to get some of that value back? If someone's selling your stuff, if you're donating and someone's making a profit off what you're donating and not just by selling it in a store, but by selling it by the pound, I feel like that part's not very transparent to people. Mm -hmm. They think it's just about feel good. 
donations. And it's not to say that there's not jobs created by these thrift shops and things like that, but I just think if we, if people are getting money for selling your clothes, maybe you could get some of that money because then maybe that would convince people to play more in the system. Yeah, incentivize people to do better. Exactly. Just give them a share because they bought something to begin with. So if they kept it around long enough to be useful to someone else, then they should get some of that kickback. And that I think is where things will start to shift is when people realize that value, can capture some of that value and either use that to, to buy other clothes or maybe not. Maybe it could be cash and you could use it to fund your side business or pay off your debts. Like there's so much you could do good with that. But right now, again, it's just very disconnected. And I think there's a lot that can happen, but I think it's going to take a critical mass of stores and big names like Nordstrom. That's very exciting. Just getting it into mainstream culture and getting people to realize that they have options for this and they could benefit or they could be asking, you know, shouldn't I get some of that? If you're going to take back my stuff, like what are you going to do with it? Mm -hmm. And yeah, just kind of connecting all these pieces. Yeah, just to close the loop on Nordstrom, so their new buyback and secondhand shop is called See You Tomorrow, and they buy back old, gently used clothes, etc. that can be resold on the Nordstrom website on the See You, to- See you Tomorrow portion or at the new store at 57th and Broadway. And the pro- according to the website, the selling process is simple. Call us at 212-295-2202. Reserve an appointment. You bring in your items. So it sounds kind of like a, the way a consignment shop would work almost. Mm-hmm. And then they give you a gift card for Nordstrom that can be used at Nordstrom, Nordstrom Rack, or Hot Look. Hot Look. Mm. And then the items get resold in the store and on the See You Tomorrow website. So it's a thing. Can you use the credit on the See You Tomorrow website, too? That would make I the would, most sense. I would think so, because it's kind of, like, part of the Nordstrom yeah, website. Nordstrom it's a section family. on that. So, well, you heard it here first. Lindsay, that's great. I mean, see, this is what's happening. This, like, four years ago, it would have seemed insane for a big store like that to make a bold claim, really, on, like, a market that isn't truly proven out yet. But it is a good idea. And mm-hmm. why not? start so it's also interesting that it's Nordstrom it's not like Macy's or something it's something that's like much higher end uh that's saying we're not worried about diluting our high-end brand of Nordstrom because I think that's something that a lot of we see brands say not necessarily so directly but that they don't want to have their art their items sold secondhand because it dilutes the brand and the quality and the standards that they have and I think it's really nice seeing that they're not really caring about that at all and they're saying we're going to bring in the secondhand items we're going to resell them we don't care about how that might look to this high-end status we've cultivated for our brand we're doing something that we feel is the right thing to do I think it is It makes sense to me that it's Nordstrom because when I think of Nordstrom, I think about service and customer service and they're really strong in that field and that's why they have tailoring in-house. That's why they have an amazing return policy that people probably take advantage of. So I think when when you think of service, this is really providing a service to your customers and it is – it can be good for everyone. It seems like they're figuring out a a way to make it work for them and not just as a – like. yeah, feel good, donate this here, and we're going to donate it for you and give you 15% off. But they're actually creating a new viable business. I hope it's viable uh, solution that yeah. is not surprising, I guess, because Nordstrom has been kind of leading the charge in customer service for a long time. But it is crazy to think that that happened in like just such a short amount of time relatively. And um, I want to go see how that works out. I know, me too. I'm very curious. Um, okay, so let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about your line some more. Uh, Vicenzi, Vicenzi, excuse me. Um, your kind of quintessential item there is this blazer that I've been seeing. And also, you guys, you have your own buyback program, as we just discussed. But one of the other things that is toted with that is you're using eco-friendly materials. Um, what's kind of your process for starting your line and sourcing these materials and building up a brand that you love? in New York City. Mm-hmm. I would say everything just got chipped away item by item and realizing the decisions that go into making a singular product has been incredible. And I invite anyone who wants to learn how clothes are made 
to do it in New York City if you can because there is still a garment district here and there are places where you can get things made. You just have to start navigating and work your way around. So with with me, I wanted to create a blazer. I love blazers, always have. And I had one blazer in particular that was my mom's that I loved the fit of. It was a vintage Liz Claiborne and double-breasted. But I don't know if it's just because of my mom is, is a few inches shorter than I am. So it just fit me in a totally different way than any blazer that I found if I were just to shop off the rack in my size. And so I just, I loved this blazer, but it was very threadbare. And I took it to a tailor to find out how much it would get cost to, how much it would cost to replace the lining. And it was over a hundred dollars, like just because of the whole, they were going to have to rip it out, put in a whole new lining. And I was like, well, that is unacceptable. I cannot afford that. Now, of course, I know more about the work involved in, in truly good tailoring. I understand the cost of that, but, um, Anyways, at the time, I was like, no, I'd rather just figure out, like, this is my starting point. I'll figure out how to make one myself. Maybe I could do it for that price. I don't know if I, what I was thinking. But um, I knew I had a starting point in the blazer, but I also wanted to update it and make, like, I knew things I wanted to change about it. For example, little things about the fit that I thought would make a difference and um, just be a little bit more flattering. And then also the materials. This was in the 80s. Like, it was very popular to have triacetate as a fabric and... It doesn't breathe as well, and I believe it had a polyester lining, like things like that. So it looked good, but I learned a lot about materials in the very early stage of starting this brand with this design, and I learned about natural materials and how wool is an incredible material because it is temperature regulating and antimicrobial, and it doesn't make you sweat as much, and so you can create like a thin wool jacket that is you can be worn year-round. It's called tropical weight wool. And wool is sustainable because it's made from a sheep. And sheep have hair that grows and keeps growing and it needs to be sheared. And then you spin it into something that can be worn. So, and I was very careful in figuring out the suppliers that I would work on with this. And they were all great about transparency and sharing where the sheep are grazing in New Zealand and then how their wool gets transported to Italy, spun into yarn, and how the mill in Italy in a historic uh, wool region called Biella, how they're very careful about the water and not introducing harmful toxins into the water stream, but actually re they're able to purify and reuse any water that's used in production so that it becomes drinking quality wow. water. And I just found it interesting that in the reason it's done in Italy is because the water's coming from the Alps. And it's like, I thought immediately of New York bagels and how we think in New York, we have better, we know we have better bagels, bagels because, because of our water. water stream. <laughs> that's why you get amazing soft high quality wool coming from Italy is just the water stream is great there and so it's been like a cool journey just learning about all the oh and like just having you know 50 different people to talk to to make one simple what I thought simple product blazers are not that simple but I think that's been good because it I had to have a lot of different supplier relationships and I had to make a lot of decisions but the ultimate idea was to create the highest quality product I could uh, with the most amount of transparency and like sustainability was important, but I didn't even think of that as a separate category. It just sort of was like, well, if it's high quality and I love this now, I love this idea of natural materials, which I'd never really thought about before starting, um, that sort of made it sustainable by design. And then the circular system, which is the most important, I think, sustainability angle for companies to take would be to own a product throughout its life cycle. And those decisions just were kind of just made sense in my head. I didn't really think too much about like the general, I don't know. I didn't think about like the world as a whole. I was just thinking about how to make one product and bring it to life. And it was frustrating, but it was really um, helpful. I think it just grounded me in having something because I knew I wanted to work in fashion. I had no fashion background. I was working in 3D printing at the time, like just totally unrelated. So I had to make a giant leap anyway. And I figured at least if I have this one project idea, this one thing for me, the blazer, then it could carry me through all like navigating these murky waters. And that part was very much true. So even though it wasn't as simple as I thought it would be, it, uh, it was 
focused enough to give me parameters of how to navigate this world. But then it's grown and it's like, oh my gosh, but now I could be making things just from existing product. Going back to your question of how do you balance like not making new things while also being a designer and making things. And I think one way to do that would be focusing on upcycling and remaking. So taking existing product and materials and totally like revamping them into something else. And that's something I've been very involved in for the past year, but I also see a lot of other people doing it. It's clear to spot when something's been upcycled, I think, which is cool, but you're also getting into an era where it's just becoming like design more and more designers are doing this and you might not even realize that product has been upcycled, which is cool too. Cause then it's like, well, and by the way, it's not so flashy. It's just cool things that have a great backstory by being upcycled and that just introduced a whole new level of sustainability to me, but I can't feel bad about the blazers because I still think they, I needed to start with making new thing. Like I needed to understand the, the whole the system. Yeah. yeah. How it works. Cause that's how you change a system is to get involved and you change it by realizing how things work and how many jobs are involved. And it's crazy to think how many jobs are involved and rely on making new clothing. And if you were to just say like, poof, gone no more new clothes I understand how harmful that would be honestly to the world as a whole but it's not to say we can't shift over time but I think it needs to be a thoughtful shift that a lot of people and leaders need to come together and make a plan because we can't just keep producing 80 billion new garments a year but we also want to provide dignity and jobs to people so it's about how do we shift a culture and shift uh, an entire industry away from extraction, which I, that was, again, not a word I really thought of until this year, but extraction is how most companies are built. Like the, it, it requires taking new resources in order to grow a business. And I really think we can grow business and have profit and give people good jobs and give great products and services, but moving away from extraction. And that's where you get into the idea of distributism, which is not a common term yet, but it's something that I'm excited to come across. And that's about just redistribution of materials and making things last for as long as possible and creating new systems around that. And so that's where you get into reuse culture, especially locally. And that is just exciting if, if businesses were built around that as their main mission, uh, but could still, you know, make profit and be a business, then that changes the game. And it, yeah, so. Absolutely. It also, it just makes me think, I agree 100%. We need it on a large-scale companies, businesses doing this, but also it can happen on a smaller consumer level as well. Mm -hmm. I think just the other week, two weeks, I can't even remember now, um, we had the Oscars, and Jane Fonda was wearing a dress she wore a couple years ago, and she's like, I am not going to buy any new clothes for the rest of my life. And I remember <laughs> my mom sent me that article and was like, she must be like really rich, right? How could she possibly say that? And I'm just like, I mean, I get why she's saying it and it's important. And, you know, she is rich and also she is a bit older. So she, I think <laughs> that sounds horrible, but like she is in a position where she can say, I'm not buying any right. new clothes for the rest of my life. It's very different than like you or I or someone in college or high school saying, I'm not going to buy any new clothes for the rest of my life valiant valiant decision to make but i think it's a little easier to make when you are yeah. older <laughs> yes or have a closet we don't know how many things she already has yeah. um but still bold yeah and inspirational to say i'm gonna try at least i'm gonna make this commitment and that's yeah. what no new stuff could be was like i just wanted to make a very i needed it to be a black or white commitment otherwise I could talk myself in and out of everything and it was for 30 days and I found it way easier than I thought partially because I already like shopping secondhand so it wasn't this giant that wasn't this giant scary black hole for me as I know it might be for many people but also because um yeah I already had enough stuff like I had amassed a lot of things by my mid-20s just because I shopped a lot and so everyone's in a different position. No new stuff can be a cool like constraint for a little bit of time just to make you rethink your habits. But also when you have a constraint, that's where you get way more creative. And I know Asuka mentioned that in her episode. Like if you have this constraint that you you need to keep this sweater, like you, you're not going to get rid of it, but you need to find a way to make it spark joy for you. Then you're like, okay, well now how do I do that? That's a different problem to solve rather than 
I just need to get rid of the sweater. Where should I bring it? And so now you're thinking about patchwork. You're thinking about mending and darning. And I think if people just give themselves, like constraint breeds creativity. That is not my phrase, but that is a phrase I fully believe in. And so giving yourself these constraints forces you to be more creative and have more fun with your clothes and learn about swaps. Like that's something I had never experienced until no new stuff. And now it's called swishing. Apparently. I don't know if you've heard that phrase (laughs) Swishing in the last week. I'm like, I can't even keep up with the terminology in this space anymore, but I like the name swish. I don't know if it came from like switching or what, where they came up with this, but apparently swaps are out and swish is in, even if it's the exact same thing. Okay. But, um, Yeah, you'll learn about all these things when you do decide to make a commitment to one, exploring one area. And to say not to buy new stuff for the rest of your life, like, I thought about that too. Uh, Like, should I just say that? And I'm even if I'm 90%, I still like having, oh, I made a rule where I can buy things new as long as I met the person who made them or designed them and that's easy to say when you that's easier to say when you live in New York City you started working in fashion you get introduced to other designers like it's I didn't know anyone who had made anything I don't think um themselves until I got into this world so I feel very fortunate that I now know makers and I can support them but anyone could locally you could find a maker um at you know local flea markets there's always a lot of makers there's definitely Etsy shops and there's more and more places where you can really meet the people making your things and not just in a, like, here's a picture of someone in a factory who made your dress, but, like, actually meet the person who designed the thing that you're about to wear. And when you buy it, you're paying for his or her groceries for the week. And those types of, like, really intimate, direct connections, I think, are where we can go in the future. And that, to me, is really exciting. And that's why I still like this term, no new stuff, even though it's conflicting, because that's not, to me, that's not stuff. Like, stuff is something else entirely. Stuff is just junk. It's, like, stuff that's around. Even junk's kind of cool. But stuff is just, like, too much. Stuff is overwhelming, whereas things, belongings, garments, like, they can, that can mean something else. And I know now I'm, I'm able to create these nuances because I've been thinking about this for many years. But you can create your own rules, essentially. And I think a world where there's still things and newly produced things, but thoughtfully that gave jobs to people or... You know, that's not such a bad thing. But um, stuff we can probably do with less just, like, meaningless stuff around. And that's where, yeah, it's finding that balance. Absolutely. So for someone who is listening right now and they are thinking, I want to do that, no new stuff. But they don't really know how to start. I know we've talked through a lot of options for clothing. uh, But since you've lived this life, do you have any tips or suggestions or go-to places to fill the rest of your life that you might need, whether it's electronics or transportation related items or hygiene, like where Mm -hmm. have you gone for no new stuff outside of the fashion space? Great question. So any major electronics retailer will have open box sections and some of those things have never been fully used, but they've been taken home and opened and that means they can't just put them back out on the floor maybe the box has damage so you might be getting a new product but it's you know it's like it's not perfect so it's imperfect and you get a discount for that so that's cool and always you can ask for more discounts when something's like open box it doesn't hurt to say what's another 10 percent, and sometimes they give it to you so that's one way i would say is like looking for returns and open box stuff um definitely any online secondhand retailer like eBay. I mean, eBay, but you have to be really careful now on eBay because they have changed their mission, I think, since when it first launched so long ago, where they were really like this auction house for secondhand stuff, things, whatever. Now it's just become another online marketplace. Yeah. Yeah. And so just being careful about, if you are truly trying to buy something secondhand, look at the listing and try and figure out, you have to, you know, be your own detective, but figure out if it's actually a secondhand item or if it's just a new marketing avenue for new product. And that's like where it's kind of frustrating, but it's whatever. It's fine. It's part of the hunt. There's that, um, swap spots in New York city. We have a lot of (laughs) swishing. Yeah. But beyond just clothing, like, there's definitely clothing swaps happening, but there are also just swap spots in 
New York in California, I know, has a lot of swap meets. I guess it was called swap meet. It was like, that's just been around forever. Yeah. And they have the, it's called like stop and swap, I yep. think, in different neighborhoods yep. throughout the year. Yep. And I know, I think later we'll talk a little bit about refashion week and mm-hmm. that there's one going on in the West Village during refashion week. So those things only work though, if people bring things too. So this is a great way to get rid of things that you're not using right now but trying to find a new home for them which is still part of this whole closing the loop process it's not just buying used but it's also figuring out if you can find a new home for your things and not just donate it and hope for the best um not trashing donations but honestly like unless it's a drive for something that you know people are looking for it's really unlikely that our stuff that we donate is getting reuse the way we think it is so I just think until that world sort of and it's changing too everything's changing Mm -hmm. but until there's more I would say efficiency in that market um yeah it really is cool to fit to find someone that wants the thing you're getting rid of swapping swap spots stop and swaps whatever there's so many cute names for things it's hard to keep track um yeah that's a great way to do it so that's good for other items what else people once you tell people a little bit and I don't mean you have to like be on a soapbox bragging about no new stuff whatever people can do whatever they want but (laughs) if you are doing it and it comes up in conversation um it's crazy how people will internalize that and they'll think of you next time they're getting rid of stuff which can be good or bad um you know you can't just be everyone's catch-all but maybe you could and you can help out and that's how it all starts to trickle down um and for or just waiting a little bit longer like if I need you know new headphones and I don't immediately go out and replace the ones that I lost I find that you know within a short amount of time somehow it's crazy I don't I don't know how this works this is how the universe is helping us um somehow they'll come into your life someone's getting rid of a pair or you'll find something on the ground and then you can disinfect it yeah things like you notice more synchronicity when you kind of turn it off for a little bit so that's those are some ways I can think of sourcing secondhand just yeah try and finding it around you I love that. I love that. I find, especially in New York, so often people are trying to connect each other to, like, housing, where it's like, I need a place to live. And then if you don't immediately freak out about looking for somewhere to live, magically a room always opens up somewhere else. And I think that's, like, a mindset we can apply to other parts of our life, too. Like, the headphones, that was a great example. I think, especially in New York, when people are on the train and they feel like they need it so immediately, just wait a minute. They'll, They'll come to you. Yes. So exactly. Waiting, patience, and then also knowing what you want and knowing what you're looking for. And that's the same with housing. In New York, there are endless options, but at least for me, I found when I've put more constraint on my search, it's helped. It's helped me find things. So same goes with like, what are you, what are you actually looking for and what do you really need? That's where you can know what to go put in the search bar on eBay or whatever is like, once you know what you're looking for, Facebook marketplace, a lot of people have told me is good for finding stuff too. I mean, there's endless i mean facebook in general i find is great so many people um cynthia who i know listens to the podcast and she's gone to some of the hand me up club things she's so great about she'll just post like a whole album of pictures and be like these are all things that i am not finding as much of a need for in my life if anyone wants them message me and let me know and then there are so many buy nothing facebook Mm -hmm. groups where you join the one that's for your neighborhood and then People will say, I need a stroller. Is anyone getting rid of one? And someone's always getting rid of one. Or they're, I don't need my space heater anymore. Could anyone use this? And it's so much more specific. And I also appreciate that it's not just a community of, I don't need this anymore, who wants it, but also of being able to ask. Yes. Because I think that's kind of the harder part about trying to shop secondhand or not buy new things is it's so much, this is what we're giving, but it's less being able to say, this is what I need. I think that that is a great example of where we all could probably learn a lot more about how to ask for help in general in life. And maybe this is one way you can start to be a little braver in asking for help or admitting you need something or you need help with something. Yeah, and maybe it becomes, like, easier and easier. I know, for example, on Poshmark, sort of this side thing came up where people would post a photo of what they want so they're not actually selling oh yeah the iso iso yeah so maybe iso can be a thing that people start doing readily on all these marketplaces and more often i mean we think all the time though about or at least i've been thinking and with some collaborators lately have been thinking a lot about how do you connect people that have something with people who want something that's like the simplest way 
that a marketplace works. But um, right now it, it is kind of disjointed. You have to be able to search the right terms or, but if like each item had a code, for example, that carried all that data with it, then you would just need to know the code and then you could find the exact thing that you were looking for. And so that's something we're prototyping oh. for the future, hoping that that could become a mainstream thing. But you need to get a brand, if it is new stuff being registered, the brand needs to give access to that information so that, again, as a service to their customers, that the customer could then use that to resell something or rehome. I mean, everyone just needs to get real with the fact that people don't want to keep things forever. Like some things, yes, heirloom products that you want to hand down, for sure. But there's always going to be reasons people want to get rid of things. Clothes, household stuff. Like, it either has bad memories attached to it. Your you body fit in change. it anymore. Yeah. yeah. And I think the more that brands just accept that that's ha- going to happen no matter what, then bring themselves into the fold, get in on the action, help people out. Um, partly because you can get a new revenue stream, but also just because it becomes a service. And that's what maybe Nordstrom is trying to tackle is like, this is already happening in culture. How do we make ourselves part of the conversation in a meaningful way? And that is what needs to happen, continue to happen. And so that's inspiring. And yeah, people just need to know what they're looking for and they need to know what they're, I think too, if you see someone that's in search of something, and you do have that thing and you weren't sure you wanted to get rid of it, but you know someone wants it, you're more likely to let go. So the more we can all be honest about what we need or what we don't need, then the more we can share. And that's where this all comes into play. Absolutely. So let's let's talk topical. Um, this episode, it's coming out the last week of February, and that's a big time in New York because it is refashion week. And I think that really speaks to what we were just saying about re- people aren't keeping things forever. Um, what do we do next? How do we refashion these clothes that are already in people's lives? And how do we keep that system moving and repeating itself? I think it's so interesting. You said there's like some SFC people that are already involved in it. I see this as a really positive thing just because it's become so much of a movement Mm -hmm. in the city. I can't even count how many people have taken a picture of the subway ads and then sent them to me and been like, do you know this is happening? Oh, good. And I'm like, I do, I do. It's so cool. Um, And I think that that visibility is so important because so many people just think when you're done with your clothes, they either go to Goodwill or they go to Salvation Army or they go to the trash and like, Mm -hmm. that's it. And you don't really think about this second life cycle. Um, and I think it's just putting it more and more in the face of people and in the cultural, I don't know what the right word is, like the cultural database of things that we're thinking about and talking about. Yeah. And not just focusing on the problem, but, but giving people solutions in a way that they might not even realize it's a solution. Like they're not, it's just a cool thing to go to with your friends or it's a cool, fashionable, stylish thing, which is why I think a lot of us want to work on sustainability specifically in the fashion world because it is such an important part of culture and art and commerce and business too. And so if you just make it fun, interactive, interesting, it also happens to be sustainable and educational, but people don't need to know that part that you can kind of trick them with that angle. (laughs) And what I love about refashion week, when I look at their calendar and they're continuing to add new events every day is the, the wide range of things going on. And that's been my experience in getting into SFC sustainable fashion world, doing my own brand, like everything that I thought was sustainable, I've been, my eyes have been open to, to more and more things that I would consider sustainable and that maybe weren't the most obvious thing that people are thinking of. And definitely on the reuse and the upcycling angle, I personally have become a huge fan of remaking my own clothes and um, for now just playing around with it, trying to figure out how to do it. Definitely think it will come into play um hopefully for my brand more so in the future too. But for now, I just need to understand like what's possible and have fun with it. And so, for example, this skirt that I'm wearing right now was I got it at Beacon's Closet and it had a small stain on it. And I actually tried to flip it from Beacon's Closet to the real real because, again, I've been trying to navigate this resale world, trying to figure out like how to rehome things. And I took it home and it didn't really fit me all that well. And I was like, well, where could I get rid of it now? 
Um, I could bring it back to Beacons. Maybe they would buy it, but maybe I could get more money if I put it on the real real. And I had never really sold anything on the real real, so it was a way to try that angle out. Anyways, long story short, they didn't want it because of this tiny, tiny, tiny little stain that I couldn't figure out how to remove either. So eventually it became a flower dye, a bundle dyeing, it's called, and you take flower petals. I did this with Barry Cohen from Anthemia. And she taught us how to like lay out the flower petals. These were all reused flowers that were left over from events in New York. And uh, she dried them out. You crunch them up. You like dip your, you roll your item like tie dye. You put rubber bands around it just to keep things together. And you put it in vinegar and then you put it in steam for 30 minutes to an hour. And then you have a color fast like permanent dye solution on the clothes and anyways that's just like one example of upcycling that I'd kind of heard of I'd you know seen photos of things that had been dyed or over dyed but when you're actually doing it for yourself it's way different because you get to understand how it works but also your output looks very different from what the inspiration was either by choice or by chance and for example refashion week I know Issa's doing a DIY day where they're doing mending but also indigo dye and that's a great way to just take things that are stained or just like kind of tired and give them new life or change the color if it's pink it can become purple if you dye it in blue so um I think those events are awesome and with refashion week it's really cool and this is kind of how SFC started was just if we bring it together under one umbrella and we give a name to it then it's a real thing and it already was a thing there's already enough pockets of people doing different things but if you give a name to it it really is it shows the outside world that this is happening and this is a true movement and we're in this together this isn't just a one-off thing and so I think refashion week just in the last few years has become a major deal really is I feel like it used to just be like a an anti-New York Fashion Week, and now it's its own week entirely, and yeah, I find that very exciting. Yeah, it's not even about, exciting. like, New York Fashion Week. Exactly. It's about its own thing. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's not even the same week, which I think is important, too. It's, mm-hmm. like, it is a, it's a total standalone event, and I love that. So I'm excited. I'm going to go to as many events as possible. We're – there's a lot going on. I can – yeah, I could go into the specifics, but, um, yeah, we're hosting Mending on Monday – and I'm getting to co-host a clothes-keeping workshop on Thursday Ooh. with Dusty Rose Vintage and Elizabeth Klein and Lene Hamilton from Remade in Brooklyn. So we did our first clothes-keeping event a few weeks ago, and it's it was awesome to see how many people came out. And they brought notebooks. They took notes. We were talk for over three hours about something that... Honestly, if we try to get feedback from people, they might say, like, that's kind of a boring topic. I don't think people will go. But it's but not. But everyone has clothes. Yeah, people everyone have clothes. clothes. And especially as people are, are learning to invest in clothing and wanting to invest in, in more expensive things, like, you do have to take care of them in a different way than we're used to. And you want to be able to make them last longer. Yeah, just learning how to take care of things is actually important. So um, that's been really cool. And it's, like, making it fun and showing all the tools involved that – you can use to like revamp your stuff and just showing what's possible I think has been important so all these events stand to just show you what's possible what other people are doing you can get inspiration you can copy that you can take it in a new direction you can combine resources but I think just exposing yourself to and exposing New Yorkers to these crazy cool things going on is definitely shaping people's minds around it and it's definitely making it become more than just a passing fad or trend but it is really just becoming the new way that we approach our clothes and our things that we buy amazing so if people are listening right now and they're thinking i want to do that that sounds amazing uh the website is refashionnyc.org and all those events that we're talking about they're all happening right now this week that you are listening so don't wait and go go check out the website and see what there is still time for you to go do definitely um get on the list because I know things are filling up and I also know everything is so insanely affordable it's like free or ten dollar or twenty dollar donation and that's crazy to me too that people because people are doing this because they genuinely care Mm -hmm. they are yeah, it's all so much about accessibility, and I think that has been a major shift in the last few years, too, because it used to be, and you still can do upcycling, um, but it used to be very expensive, and I'm not saying that's bad. I want to pay people for their time, but it also makes it not as easy for people to 
test it out or to be able to afford to go. So mm-hmm. it's definitely about finding that balance. But everything that week is is very accessible and affordable. But you do need to get tickets, I think, for some things. So check it out. Check it out and find us there. And you could say hi in person. Yes, absolutely. All right, so we are getting towards the end of our episode. And oh my gosh, the end of the season. It's amazing. So where can people find you, find Vicenzi, find SFC, Sustainable Fashion Circle? Where where are all the places online that people can find you and connect if they are listening and they are interested? Yay, you should go to Vicenzi.co, V-I-C-E-N-Z-I. Vicenzi, if you're Italian or a fan of the language, uh, .co. And I generally, I generally link to all this stuff through that website, through blog posts and things like that. Um, that's one place. And the meetup, you can just search Sustainable Fashion NYC and it will show up for you, which is awesome. And that's how a lot of people have been able to find us. But um, meetup.com slash sustainable dash fashion dash NYC. And the best place for that, um, you can join the meetup. But if you're not a fan of meetup or you're not on it yet or don't want to join another website, you can just follow. There's a link there to sign up for the newsletter. And that comes out like once a month about where I just try and collect all these different resources going on. And, and if you have something you want to go out to that community through the newsletter, definitely um, you can find me through the meetup and or my website contact page and just tell me like all this is about learning and about sharing so tell me what's going on so that I can then share it out and don't be afraid to ask for help from each other um there's a Facebook page for the SFC too we have been experimenting with slack I'm not sure people are interested in that but as I I love that more (laughs) about yeah that's um as we think more about the resources and directory and and maybe revamping the Slack page, like just figuring out where people are communicating and gathering these days online and building around that rather than reinventing the wheel. Great. And then each episode, we end with a hand-me-up, which is just your word of advice, your pro tip, something you want to pass on to the listeners. I feel like we've covered a lot of hand-me-ups in this episode, but if you have any parting words of wisdom you wish to say, we would love to hear your hand-me-up. Wisdom. I, I think advice is really easy to give out, but it's not always helpful to people. I think the most important thing is if you want to start something or you're thinking about getting more involved in some category, like just figure out the smallest way you can do it and just get started because I think you've probably learned too, Lindsay, and I know I have for sure. Like the things I thought I was going to do or be able to do um, has changed dramatically in the past few years. But as you encounter things going on or you meet people and it kind of goes in new directions and things that seemed impossible at one time seem very possible once you, you know, meet one person or 10 people that can help get you there. So it's like just start very, very small. Don't overthink it. And just for me, I literally am at the point where I'm just taking it day by day by day by day. And I think it's cool to have a focus, but also not get too attached to what the outcomes are because we just don't really know. Starting a community or being part of a community, one of the hardest but best parts is that you really can't track the the positive outcomes. Like you just hope that putting in the time and attention and bringing people together leads to good things. And I, I've gotten to hear some great stories over the years of how you know SFC has influenced people which is really really definitely what keeps it going because it's not an easy metric right when you're just hoping for the best so I think just getting started get some sort of focus but be open to to new things and just follow wherever you're still curious that's like how I'm approaching it I hope that works for other people um and you should compost. That's maybe my only like something I learned about that has been really cool and maybe more impactful than even fashion waste is food waste and learning how to compost has made me eat healthier and I get to talk to people on the street that are collecting the compost and make friends with Susan in the West Village for example. Yeah I think if you're looking to make an impact like that's one easy way that we can all do it that it's not available in every city so I think it's definitely cool to take advantage of that in New York City. Amazing. I love that. If you're looking to learn, that's a cool way. And you get to learn more about closing the loop. And then also as another hand me up, I definitely just want to be able to share what you're doing. If you're listening to this and you're 
you're already working on something or you happen to work on something in the future, just please share it my way. I would love to share it out, whether it's about making introductions to people specifically or it's about just sharing it as part of the newsletter or as part of an upcoming event. Um, if you want to host events, even if you're not looking to co-organize or take on that full responsibility yet, just get in touch because I've been very fortunate to meet a lot of people in New York City working on these things and I and I want to be able to return the favor of those who have helped me by hopefully continuing to matchmake and put people together, give feedback. If you're looking for something in any aspect of fashion and sustainability from making stuff to recycling stuff, upcycling, I feel like I I love it all. So I want to be able to help if I can. Amazing. Amazing. So this is the end of season one of the Hand Me Up Club. It has been a wild first season. We've talked to so many different people. The first episode was back with Autumn and Estefania, who were costume designers making costumes out of crazy things and then telling us how to get the most out of the clothes we have and how to maintain them, uh, which seems like it ties back into yes. the clothes that you were just talking about. And then since then, we've talked to people in all aspects of fashion and sustainability, uh, the New York City Fair Trade Coalition, Everlasting Wardrobe, Clothing Rentals for Kids, Rust and Fray, the Upcycled Handbags, Asuka, doing sustainable styling and closet organizing, B, also doing sustainable organizing. So many people, literally 22 episodes worth of people doing super cool things. And I've learned so much. I hope that all the people that are listening, you feel like you have learned a lot over these last few weeks as well. Uh, and it's just a really exciting time to be involved in sustainability and sustainable fashion because we just keep seeing more and more innovation coming. Just in recording this episode, there's been the Nordstrom thing yeah. in the last few days. Like so much is happening all the time and so much is changing and improving our lives and improving this industry. And it's been so much fun to talk to you all about it over the last few months. Uh, I am just so excited and that excitement is going to continue for the next few months while I prepare for season two so with this I'm not saying see you next week but I will talk to you in October and thank you so much for listening feel free to listen to the past episodes and I'll talk to you in October bye Hand Me Up Club is hosted by Lindsay Ruter recorded and engineered by Adam Zucker and edited by Caitlin Correa at CC Media Thanks for listening.